0: Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500.
1: Mario, look, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in
0: front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis
2: 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5 The Band. Spectacular Monday for a number of reasons. Number one, because the weather is spectacular. Number two, because it is the month of May. And number three, because we now know the field and how it is set for the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Good evening to you. My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson is here as well. Brad Huber here in studio. This is Beyond the Bricks. And we've got a fun show lined up tonight, and I realize that a lot of people probably are tuning in because of the different statistical anomalies and things of such with this field. We'll get into some of that. Uh, But we are going to tonight kind of take a look at how the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has crossed over, over the years into pop culture entertainment references and becoming a euphemism simply for speed or sleek or cool and we'll get into all of that including without question the coolest three and a half minutes of music video in the history of the indianapolis motor speedway which we've talked about ad nauseum and now are going to introduce many of you to the greatness that is the greatest music video ever done about the indy 500 but before we get to all of that mike let's talk about real quickly what did take place over the weekend, you heard Kurt and Kevin talking about it, so there's not much we're going to say that they have not already regarding qualifying for the race itself. But anything that jumped out at you, either as a surprise or something where you said to yourself, That went as I expected, and the rest of the field better watch out.
0: Uh, Scott Dixon winning the poll went as expected to me, and the best the rest of the field better watch out for Scott Dixon. I think he's he's the man to beat. Um, of course, I've said that the last few years and and he hasn't won a 500 since 2008. So maybe I, you know, I should not pick him because I, I'm not helping him in these with these predictions. But uh, Scott Dixon, I think, was uh, was awfully impressive. Um, now, he, you know, he he may have gotten what some believe is a little bit of a fortunate draw getting to go out first and getting to go out last. But I think he still would have won the poll anyway. So uh, Scott Dixon, I think, is the man to beat on Sunday. I think Colton Herta was very impressive. I think Renus VK was very impressive again. Um, I think Renus VK has an outstanding chance. Uh, But one of the guys, you know, a little further down the field that I keep coming back to is, you know, I honestly would not have predicted Pietro Fittipaldi qualifying 13th. I would have had him a little further down in the field because that car I didn't think was as good as he qualified um, earlier in the week. So, I mean, I think that's a great number for Pietro. So I think he's got to be really happy with that and and I honestly wouldn't have predicted not because I don't think he's talented I think he's extremely talented but I wouldn't have predicted Scott McLaughlin being the uh the first Penske car in the lineup uh, so that those are probably what I you know really stick out for me at this point
2: Pietro Fittipaldi's run was very impressive um I will be curious to see what he does over the course of the race itself you know Oftentimes, we stereotype the younger drivers or the more aggressive drivers of, hey, you got to look out for this guy at the beginning of the race or gal. And then lo and behold, sometimes, you know, it's a Juan Montoya that is the first to hit the wall, which we've seen before when he was as accomplished as anybody. So you never really know. There are so many variables that come into play. You talked about Scott Dixon. And and it it is interesting, Mike. Conventional wisdom tells you or just – In your mind, you think to yourself, well, since Dixon won the Indianapolis 500, he's had so many opportunities to win, and just for whatever reason, beyond his control, he was not able to win it. Well, I don't know that you could. From 2009 to 2013, he was running every year at the end of the race. It's not like someone took him out. He was taken out by contact. Of course, we know about the incident with Jay Howard in 2017 where, you know, he got airborne. Um and then in 2014, he was involved in an incident, and that's it. I mean, outside of that, he's been running at the end of the race last year or in August, not necessarily a year ago. We'll never know. I still think Sato might have been lighter on fuel than was expected, and Dixon might have actually gotten him in the last few laps had Spencer Piggott not hit the attenuator, but the good news is, in that case, Spencer Piggott was okay, and we were able to get a deserving champion into Takuma Sato, and in and a guy in Takuma with a great reverence for the Speedway. So all's well that ends well, I guess, for everyone but Scott Dixon. But um, I thought it was a good weekend, Mike. And, you know, I remember as a kid always hearing Carnegie say, here it is, the fastest field in the history of the 500. And that was always so cool. But, of course, you thought, well, yeah, they all are going to go faster than the year before. Obviously, that – that has changed somewhat but now for the first time in some seven years we can say the fastest field in the history of the event which is pretty cool
0: yeah i think that's very cool and and you know you feel for the two that didn't make it of course uh charlie kimball has been just nothing and not to be not surprisingly because charlie kimball's a a class act but uh you feel for charlie kimball not making it you feel for rc enerson not making it and the top gun guys they they put everything they had into it and gave it their all and but I think they really I think they really gained a lot of fans this week um unfortunately they didn't make it but uh you've got to feel good for Simona Di Silvestro uh and and uh Autosport making the race so we have some great storylines and as you said the fastest field and so uh, I'm ready for him to drop the flag
2: yeah I thought Charlie Kimball in particular look R.C. Enerson when he did not make the field you could kind of tell with R.C. Enerson that it was, hey, you know what? We got everything we could out of the car. We did, you know, we were underfunded, and, and we came together late. And so, you know, maybe it won't be the case next year if R.C. Enerson comes back and doesn't make the field. But for this year, you know, they were proud of their effort, and they were proud of coming out and, and getting out there and turning laps and learning what all goes into trying to qualify for the race. And so – Hard to say a feel-good story when they didn't make the race. But for what they had to go through, you know, they could be proud of themselves. Charlie Kimball, I will say, I think Mike probably gained some fans over the course of the weekend because of his quote, you know, race cars are the heart of this place, but the fans are the soul. And August was soulless, and it was great and a privilege just to come back and drive a car in front of the fans here. You say that kind of thing and then later, and I think this didn't go with as much fanfare or attention, but the fact later that he sent a tweet congratulating Beth Peretta and that team and saying that he was looking forward with his daughter to be able to watch Simona Silvestro and pull for her, and it then confirmed from the team that, in fact, he went up and said encouraging words to them before they even went out to battle it out for the last row. Those are kinds of things that are pure class from Charlie Kimball, and I think Go a long way and people, even some eleven years after he arrived here, saying to themselves, "That's a guy I'm going to root for in the future." And I think people are excited to see him come back and try it again next year.
0: Oh, I agree 100. Uh, percent Charlie, I I've always thought Charlie's a good guy. He's always had time for us and and given us good quotes and and really thoughtful quotes. And uh, I've always really liked Charlie and gotten along really well with him. And and uh, I'm I'm really again I'm sad he didn't make it, but but I, I think he did. I think he gained a lot of new fans. And and I agree with everything you said, too, about R.C. I want to make sure we stress about R.C. This isn't a situation where this is a guy who is not talented enough to make the field. R.C. Anderson's a good race car driver. And I, I think that he's knocking on the door to get an opportunity, Um, you know, to keep showing that. Now, the Top Gun situation that came together really late, as you said, and And they did. They rang everything they could out of the car and they were still pretty close to making the field. So I think with more funding and more, you know, having more time to put that together, they could be in the field next year with that group. So but I just want to make sure everybody understands RC Enerson, this isn't on him and this isn't any kind of reflection on him. And it's really not a reflection on the team either. I mean, they they put together everything late, but RC Enerson's a talented race car.
2: Okay. I have some statistics about the field that I want to have fun with you trivia questions Mike before we get into the meat of beyond the bricks tonight and I'm going to put you on the spot with some of them is that fair with you
0: okay sounds now, good
2: for the sake of the awkward radio that is dead silence for like 10 seconds if you don't get it within in some of them you'll know right away some of them you might have to think if you you know I'm not going to sit let you sit for 30 seconds and flap in the wind, right? We're going to move it yeah, I got fairly you. quickly. Fair enough. Okay, here we go. Uh, number one, Pietro Fittipaldi, now the fourth grandson of a winner to start in the Indianapolis 500 or to qualify for, assuming that he will make the start. Uh, the other three drivers, aside from Emerson Fittipaldi, to see a grandson in the field. Go ahead.
0: To see a grandson in the field, Bill Vukovich would be one. That is Correct. Um, other to see a grandson in the field when Win- the you said winners correct
2: correct an indy 500 winner who saw a grandson qualify for the indianapolis 500
0: oh boy you caught me with this one i think right off the top um, uh one of
2: them their grandson turned 19 on race day
0: oh um well and of- what well, wait what well one of them is mario because uh with marco
2: that is correct okay and then
0: Turned 19 on race day mm-hmm. this year?
2: No, as a rookie. When he was a rookie, he became oh. the youngest driver in the history of the Oh, uh, and
0: then uh, so AJ Foyt the fourth. That is, Acher, so. that
2: is correct. That is correct. Okay. Right. Yeah, uh, the go. leader at halfway point of the Indianapolis 500, there has not been a leader at the halfway point to win the race since this driver did it within the last decade. Who was it?
0: Uh, Simon Pagenaud.
2: That's a great guess. I'll give you this hint. You ready? Uh, okay. His His sponsor can deliver things quickly.
0: Can deliver the uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. Ryan Hunter Ray is indeed
2: the correct answer. That is outstanding work from you there. Okay, I've got a couple of others here. Um, Takuma Sato could become the oldest repeat winner in a back-to-back scenario, surpassing whose record?
0: Oldest repeat winner. So this person did repeat, is what you're saying?
2: Um, no, no. Okay, I should I re I phrased this poorly. Sorry. Takuma okay. Sato okay. has the opportunity to become the oldest back-to-back winner of all time. He would eclipse the record of what driver, who currently is the oldest driver to have won back-to-back races?
0: Um, I'll give you a hint. Think all-time hits leader, Cincinnati Reds. I was going to say it would have to be Maury Rose. Maury Rose is indeed was, the correct answer. That is yeah, indeed the say correct would, answer. I was going to say it'd have to be Maury Rose because he was older than Shaw was at the time that Shaw did it.
2: So. Uh, you are correct that it is Maury Rose. Okay, uh, let me find like one other for you here. Uh, okay, this driver has started more races before the age of 30 than any other.
0: More Indianapolis 500s? Correct. I... I I was going to guess Sage Karam, and I think I'm probably wrong.
2: Same hometown.
0: Okay, Marco then.
2: That is correct. Marco Andretti is correct. Uh, Marco Andretti, let's see what else I have here. These are um, Scott Richards does an unbelievable job of coming up with amazing statistics for me, which are very much appreciated. Uh, but it's going to be, obviously, the youngest front row in the history of the event with Renus VK flanking on the outside at the age of 21. Colton Herta in the middle at the age of 20. And then Scott Dixon at the very youthful age of 40. But nonetheless, the average age, 27 years old for the starting front row of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. I look forward to it. And we have a week's worth of programs for Beyond the Bricks to get to between now and then. Mike, we are officially in turn four of this program, right?
0: That's absolutely correct, which is uh, very sad as far as I'm concerned because – I've really much. I've really enjoyed doing this program. So uh, it's been fun doing this with you every night. And so uh, you know, having it be in turn four is a little bit sad. For me.
2: It is. Um, you know, I'm I'm used to being in turn three. What can I say? Right. Um, <laughs> here's what we are going to do tonight. When you think about music at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the first thing you think of is, of course, the tradition that began. Back in 1946, and I think most people think Mike and we've talked about this on this program. Back home again in Indiana did not necessarily start with Jim Neighbors. He is just simply the guy that is most known for it, right? But this is a tradition that dates back to when Tony Holman first got the track. Correct?
0: That that's correct. I mean, uh, James Melton did the did it, and then do you remember there was a talk show host? uh was it the late 80s early 90s named uh, morton downey jr and he oh he yeah used to like remember he, he was very loud and brash and he would kind of blow smoke and smoke a lot of and, cigarettes yeah exactly um his father actually sang back home again in indiana or indiana as the song is titled uh one time as well so no it's a it's a tradition that goes back several years
2: now with that Even with the singing to Back Home Again in Indiana and that kind of becoming, and by the way, Morton Downey Sr. sang it in 52 and 53. James Melton began singing it in 1946, sang it until 48, and then in 1949, Frank Parrish took over. It kind of intermixed among those three. Dinah Shore did it in 1955, Brian Sullivan in 56, Jerome Hines in 57, Sullivan again, the Purdue University Band, So you had kind of this rotation of people doing it until really Jim Neighbors got a firm grip on doing Back Home Again in Indiana for a number of years with a few intermixed singers. And, of course, now Jim Cornelison singing it. So that's become the de facto theme, if you will, of the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But in 1961, there was a song that was written that is often heard if you listen to the Radio Network coverage of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, and this song to me, and Mike, once we play it, I want you then to tell me if I am embellishing its significance because for a number of reasons that I'll explain once we play it. But I think of this song, quite frankly, as kind of 1A when it comes to the musical soundtrack of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and it's done by appropriately enough the Hoosier singers and it's from 1961
1: the 500, the 500.
2: That is, again, the 500 by the Hoosier Singers. And, Mike, on a personal note, two things about that song to me that will always be special. Number one, when I hear it, I immediately think of Bumps In and Out and Breaks In and Out with Sid Collins and the IMS Radio Network. But I did not know until I was a young man, really, when my dad told me that my dad, who grew up in the north side of Indianapolis and worked, he went to North Central High School and Broderpool High School, both. During high school, he worked as a soda jerk. No, my dad is not a jerk. He's the nicest guy in the world. But soda jerk is, of course, what it was known when you were jerking the levers to make different flavored sodas in drugstores back in the day. And my dad was a soda jerk at a pharmacy called Jordan Pharmacy, named for Joe Jordan, who owned the pharmacy. Joe Jordan is actually the man who wrote that song and in 1961 when it was selected i guess as the the song to be used for the indianapolis motor speedway they had a reception for it and joe jordan and my dad was a you know a senior in high school and so joe jordan showed up one day at jordan pharmacy for a brand new with a brand new suit for my dad and you know my dad's thinking why are you buying me a brand new suit and joe jordan said well there's going to be a reception for the song that I wrote where we're going to celebrate the fact that it is going to be the song of the 500. And I want you, because my dad loved music. My dad was in the CounterPoints Choir at North Central High School and was a musically inclined guy. And so Joe Jordan said, I want you to be able to come to the reception. And so therefore, I bought you a new suit to celebrate with me this song because I know how much you love music. And lo and behold, my dad would go on to have a son in myself who loved music the 500 as much as my dad really loved music at that time. So I am biased about that song admittedly, but having said that, Mike, would you agree that it has a special significance within the lore of the Indy 500?
0: I would, I would agree with that. Um, just to correct one thing you said, the name of the group is actually the singing Hoosiers.
2: Oh, did I say the Hoosier singers? Sorry.
0: Yep. Yep. This is the singing Hoosiers. And what I do know about that group is that basically they were the glee club of, of indiana university like a uh you know a choral like an ensemble group and they've been around for a long time i mean the glee club i guess was founded you know in the late 1890s and they they eventually were renamed as the singing hoosiers but i agree 100 it is an important part of 500 history it and even the song uh w- without the lyrics and without the uh the lyrical accompaniment has been used in a number of different ways at the beginning of the IMS radio network coverage. It's been used instrumentally in different ways in different eras. So it is an important, important song, especially to the IMS radio network. It's been it's been used in a multitude of different ways in different eras. So it's definitely an important song.
2: In a number of different ways over the last half century, there have been songs that have referenced the Indianapolis 500, or its champions, its participants, or simply its place within the American landscape. That's the theme of tonight's program, and to get us warmed up one more time as we get set to play you some of the different songs over the course of years from genres of music that reference the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we will go one more time to, Mike, it's the Singing Hoosiers or the Hoosier Singers. It's the singing Hoosiers. The singing Hoosiers to get us warmed up. And then when we come back, a number of different genres referencing the Indy 500 a number of different ways. It's Beyond the Bricks on 93.5 107.5, The Fan. The
1: 500, the 500.
2: 27 minutes after the hour jake query here along with mike thompson brad huber here as well this is beyond the bricks And this, the final week before the running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And over the years, the Indy 500 has, of course, become something that has transcended just auto racing and become a euphemism, meaning speed or the ultimate in terms of the ingenuity of racing itself or the finest display of cars. I think, Mike, from a movie and television standpoint, There are two scenes that come to mind for me. I will tell you one. I will leave on the table for you others so as to not take away what you might be thinking of. I recall when I was a kid, I used to watch The Brady Bunch all the time, of course, having no idea when I was a five-year-old kid in 1977 that what I was watching was actually an eight-year-old show in syndication. But I recall when Greg Brady kind of got hoodwinked into buying a car, I think from Jerry Rogers, Rat Fink, or something like that. And he souped it all up. And when he souped it up, he was getting ready to display it to the rest of the family and their driveway on the banks of their AstroTurf backyard. And I thought the Bradys were, I remember saying to my parents, I was like five, and I said, I didn't know they live in Indianapolis. And my dad said, well, no, the Brady Bunch, Jake, is like in California. And I said, no, it's Indianapolis, because he says, let me show you the hottest wheels this side of Indianapolis. And I thought he meant like whatever side of town they lived on. And my dad explained to me what it meant. But that was when I think kind of my first introduction to Indianapolis was a phrase that simply meant the maximum when it came to racing. Now, for you, in terms of television or movie references, Mike, what jumps to mind?
0: Uh, Danny Sullivan on Miami Vice. What do you think? (laughs)
2: heck yeah that was right at the hey danny sullivan was a cool dude man
0: he was a cool dude
2: real cool dude he was a real cool i dude. think he had like ferrari sunglasses or some variation thereof right
0: yeah he had the ray-bans going the ray-bans yeah.
2: whatever it was yeah, yeah absolutely
0: was... Danny, danny sullivan on miami vice i think for sure
2: and of course i also think about the movie a christmas story when of course ralphie they were coming back from christmas and they the old man gets the flat tire and he says my dad, you know, was proud of the fact he could change a tire faster than a pit crew in the Indy 500. So it's always been there.
0: But Yeah, G- and Gene Shepard is a big 500 fan. Yeah. Yeah, so there have been references
2: galore in movies. Meet the Parents, when mm-hmm. Ben Stiller is racing home. Nice driving, Mario. And as we're about to find out, Mario Andretti's been referenced in a number of different songs as well. But this all kind of got underway. There have been other examples before, I realize. But in terms of tonight and going through the years of musical tributes to the Indy 500 or references thereof we're not going to play the whole thing but let's go back to a guy that had a song written about him a ballad if you will and it was recorded Mike in 1960 and I'm talking about the ballad of Jimmy Bryan here is a little bit of the ballad of Jimmy Bryan
1: mighty racing man With shoulders broad and courage rare and a steady driving hand From the smallest dusty dirt tracks to racing's Hall of Fame He won everything there was to win Jimmy Bryan was his name Jimmy Bryan was his
2: name And of course it goes on to tell the story of Jimmy Bryan and this song Mike This is terrible of me to say but as a young kid, that's kind of how I came to know and remember every year, aside from the fact that it's my dad's birthday and my dad used to sing this song on family trips in the car, but in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, June 19th, I always recall that as being the day, unfortunately, that Jimmy Bryan was lost because of the fact that it's mentioned in the song. But that song, I think, was a pretty popular tune back in the day, right?
0: It was popular around here, especially uh, the guy who who recorded it was from Terre Haute. Uh, I believe his name was Harry Weger. Correct. And he, yeah, he he recorded it, and uh, it was a it was very it was popular definitely in in this area in central Indiana, certainly.
2: Jimmy so. Bryant, of course, the 1958 uh, Indy 500 winner. I I've never understood the beginning of that song. Is it just the fact of the quality of the recording or when it was recorded, was it made to sound like it was on like an old vinyl record like that? I've never known that, to be honest with you.
0: Uh yeah, that's the version I have has that uh crackling, right? That old crackly record sound. And I so. think they
2: all all versions have that, that. may be,
0: yeah. yeah but Mike, it turns be.
2: out that Jimmy is not just the name of Jimmy Bryan, but there was another Jimmy who won the race and as a result got the illustrious illustrious compliment of having a ballad written about him, right? That is correct. And I'm talking about the fact that it was nine years later when Bobby Mack decided that he would also do a ballad. This one is the ballad of Jimmy Clark. Now, that smash hit came out four years after Jim Clark had won the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Um, the one thing that, that I, when I'm listening to these songs, Mike, that jumps out at me, is the evolution of just music in general. And the thing that's interesting is as music has changed, I mean, it is hard for me to think about like people at a party like, hey, put that song back on. And I don't know how much of these were just like folksy fun songs versus songs that got radio play and were were popular jingles, but they got radio play in reality. And they somewhat, re, you know, reflect music of that time. Now, obviously in 1969, by then you had, you know, the Beatles were out and the Doors and the Who, and, you know, music had changed a lot. But through the course of time as music changed, the references to the racing at 16th and Georgetown did not. But I think it goes to show, Mike, when you look at Jimmy Bryan, Jimmy Clark, race car drivers that were winning in Indianapolis in doing so were becoming big-time stars.
0: Oh, that's that's right. And, you know, those were more story songs about drivers who had just been lost. You know, obviously the ballad of Jimmy Bryan came out after his, his tragic death at Langhorn, and the, you know, the ballad of Jimmy Clark. You know, that came out, um, you know, after uh, Jimmy Clark's passing at Hockenheim. So those were more story song ballads. Uh, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And now what's interesting about the, the ballad of Jimmy Clark, the uh, the 45 single of the ballad of Jimmy Clark, if you could find it with the the picture sleeve, it has a picture sleeve of Jimmy Clark on the front. That's actually kind of rare in the memorabilia world to find the the, the one with the picture sleeve. You can find the record sometimes, and the record even isn't that easy to find. But finding it with the picture sleeve that has Jim Clark on the front is really not that easy. I'm lucky I actually have one of the ones with the picture sleeve. My dad gave it to me a few years ago, and and I'm pretty proud of that one. But uh, that's not that easy thing to find.
2: Now, in between those two songs... It wasn't just folksy guys that sounded like they might have been doing a cover band act at Cracker Barrel that were writing songs about Indianapolis 500 winners or referencing the Indianapolis 500 because in the mid-60s, of course, there was the breakthrough of the British invasion, but you also had a band on the West Coast that was as popular as any that is still popular today, and when the Beach Boys decided they wanted to have fun, 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 they wanted to get in on the fun of referencing 16th and Georgetown.
1: She
2: walks, like a now, I want folks to remember the fact that Chariot was referenced because in about 10 minutes, we're going to play for you the greatest song in the history of music about the Indianapolis 500 that also mentions Chariots. But here's what's funny about that, Mike, with the Beach Boys. I've heard that song 50,000 times. The Beach Boys are an iconic band and, of course, one of the most influential bands of their era. I don't know that until you sent that to me tonight and I looked up the lyrics that I had ever caught the fact that the Indy 500 is referenced in it. It just so naturally rolls through my mind of knowing every word. I'm embarrassed to admit I don't know that I've ever previously caught that reference. Should I be humiliated by that?
0: I'm a little surprised by that because I think that's the most well-known lyric about the Indy 500 in any song. So I am a little surprised that that, that didn't immediately come to mind for you because, uh, again, with the Beach Boys, as popular as, as they were at the time especially, and as well-known as that song is, that I think that is the most well-known lyric uh, about the Indy 500 anywhere.
2: And, I mean, look, I'm I'm somewhat embarrassed here, right? But oh it's okay. I mean that that is pretty darn cool, right? That one. That might be You're right. That's probably the most famous. I mean, clearly it's the most famous act that has done oh, a I song think, referencing it, right?
0: I I think that is the most famous lyric that references the Indy 500 because it you know that was obviously a huge huge smash and with a you know a top top level band uh, in the Beach Boys. So To me, that's the most well-known lyric that references the Indy 5.
2: Now, within their genre, there was another big-time band around the same time frame
0: that decided
2: to do a song that tells a story, and it's a pretty fun story. It's the story of a guy that was taking a road trip, driving across the country. Lo and behold, he had some car problems in Jackson, Mississippi on a Saturday night. So while they were working on his car, he decided to go into a bar and in the bar, a group came in and all of a sudden some trouble arose. He decided he had to get out of the situation. So to get out of the situation, he decided to just go ahead and make up a story about one of the guys that was attacking him, hoping that that meant that guy's friends would turn on him. And he kicked him in the knee and ran off and hopped in his own car and fired it up just as it had been repaired and started to drive away. And that's how Charlie Daniels in 1973 was an uneasy writer, but he was an uneasy writer that referenced a guy that had won the Indianapolis 500 four years prior.
0: Mario Andretti would have sure been proud of the way I was moving
2: when I passed that crowd coming out the door and headed toward me in a trot. That is an awesome song, by the way, Mike. Not as awesome as the one we're going to play in about 10 minutes, but it's pretty awesome.
0: All right. Look, I got to be honest. I hated this song. Oh, well, I, I heard this for Mike. The first it's been time fun doing today. the show with you. Yeah, I got to be honest. I heard this for the first time today. And the reason I think I hated it is I think basically it just rips off a boy named Sue by Johnny Cash, who was one of my all time. Boy, favorite that artists. is
2: a great call, though. You're right. They are very similar. Yeah, in their sound. I mean, it's
0: just it just basically rips off a boy named Sue. So I was like when I listened to it for the first time today, I said, wait a minute. Charlie Daniels, I think, just stole Johnny Cash's act here. So I was I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. It's
2: hard to argue with the fact that it sounds a lot like A Boy Named Sue. You are correct about that. that that's, a good, that's a good point, but it's still a great song, and it references Mario Andretti. And I wish we could play the Ice Cube song that references Mario Andretti, but because of the lyrics just prior to and just after Mario Andretti being referencing – being referenced by Ice Cube, all you would hear is Ice Cube saying the words Mario Andretti, and that's all you would hear because we wouldn't be able to play the rest of Steady Mobbin, but Ice Cube also referencing Mario Andretti. When we come back, more music that references the Indianapolis 500, including another from Mario that comes many years later and in a completely different genre than Charlie, ba- than Charlie Daniels, as well as another winner who also was from Scotland, who also is referenced in a song, and the much-anticipated, long-awaited release on this program of the greatest song and music video referencing the Indy 500 in history that's next on Beyond the Bricks. Was a phoenix in the morning
1: I had a wake-up call Went around without a warning Put me in you know. the I drove Long Beach, California
2: Indianapolis, Indiana in May, where we are, that is Speedway at Nazareth. Mark Knopfler, right, Mike?
0: Yeah, Mark Knopfler and Emmylou Harris. So now we're talking actual real real talents here. (laughs) This is one of the greatest songs. I I This is a great, great song. Well, let me tell uh, you something. two, Two tremendous talents.
2: Alan Jackson's pretty darn talented. He also references Mario Andretti, by the way, when he's talking about driving with his dad and feeling like Mario Andretti when he first drives with him. But there are a number of songs, as we're talking about tonight on Beyond the Bricks, that reference both Indianapolis and the Indianapolis 500. And speaking of the Mario Andretti theme, Amy Grant decided to get into the mix. This happened in the early 90s. This is another one that I thought, wait a minute, Amy Grant, I don't recall this. And then, of course, immediately once I looked it up, I'm like, oh, my goodness, of course. I believe that I read once that between movies and music, Mario Andretti is a- actually referenced in 22 different productions. Amy Grant got into the mix some 29 years ago.
1: You like to like Mario I like my time.
2: Now, Mario Andretti, of course winning the race back in 1969, and as we talked about, it was in 1969 when a song not about Mario Andretti, but Jimmy Clark was released, Bobby Max Ballad Jimmy Clark in 1969. And of course, Jim Clark has a three-time winner of the Indianapolis 500 that absolutely has the highest of respect and love, along with Mike Thompson, for Jim Clark. And I'm talking about a guy that also got into the fray in terms of being referenced in song as an Indy 500 winner, even when they had to come up with some really weird food lyrics to try to rhyme with his name. And I'm talking about Dario Franchiti. We love.
1: Yeah. I spread too much love, haters can't keep up with me. I like to eat good, season salad and baked ziti. I gotta share the light when I mob through the city. I
2: still move swift like Dario Franchitti. Dario Franchitti. Dario Franchitti.
0: Now, is that Mike,
2: did they just like his name?
0: I... I can't answer that question, but that lyric, the big ZD lyric gets me every time. I love I love that song because it just it rhymes so well. And I love the beginning of the song. It's just it's just really well done, right?
2: What there. all do you think so. went into trying to come up with lyrics for that rhyme with Dario Franchitti? Like were they well, passing I mean, by Magianos?
0: Well, you could just stop with big ziti. Because it, you could just rhyme that over and over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they also do a good job of repeatedly saying his name, which is good, right? The yeah. music video, by the way, I think in the music video they're just standing in front of like a, a an old speedway somewhere. J B Lynch and is it is it Prem D Prem A D? How do I say that?
0: Yeah, I believe it's uh, preem D. I mean, yeah, it's not Eric B
2: and Rakim or EPMD. No. I can tell you that, no. right?
0: But that it's a good it's a good effort. But. In 1983, it was
2: the band, and I am apologetic here, folks. I thought forever, as long as I have been on this planet, I was yesterday years old when I learned that Menudo is from Puerto Rico and not Mexico. I thought for sure when Menudo on ABC, which was a feature on ABC Saturday Morning Cartoons where they would have the boy band Menudo – Singing in primarily Spanish, with different songs, and I and you know it was a they were a boy band so they were for kids. I was ten. It was pretty much I was the target demo. I always thought they were from Mexico. I don't know why. Not just because they spoke Spanish, but I want to say that there was. I must have seen like a. They probably did incorporations of talking about different Latin American countries or south or Central American countries, etc. Spanish speaking nations to educate kids about them using Menudo. And Mexico must have been featured in the one that I most remember. That probably is what it is. But they were from Puerto Rico. And Menudo decided to do a song about the Indianapolis 500. And let me tell you something. This is the equivalent of... I mean, there are great musical masterpieces in history. Uh, Mozart has many of them, obviously. Beethoven, Tchaikovsky. Then you get into the Beatles. You know, A Day in the Life by the Beatles is a masterpiece. The final note is as famous as any that you're going to hear in music. Michael Jackson's thriller with Beat It and Billie Jean was amazing. The Police were fantastic. Synchronicity in 1983, as good an album as you're going to find anywhere. There are maestros of all kinds of different genres, but nothing really ever can eclipse the masterpiece that was created by Menudo when they came out with the song about the Indianapolis 500 and they were so brilliantly talented and assembled that they did it in two different languages. Now, we'll begin with their native language, and when you hear this, just around the time that your toe starts tapping and you think to yourself, I would love to know what they're saying. Fear not, because we have that as well in the English variation, which has some of the greatest lyrics ever put pen to paper. It's Jeffersonian in the manner of which the prose came about. This is 1983, the Spanish-speaking version of Menudo, Indianapolis. Let me me just begin by saying, we're letting this breathe
1: out. Because you gotta hear the instruments.
2: But wait till the chorus. I heard mechanics, I heard that. Gasoline, I heard that.
1: Where are we again?
2: Where do we live? Where's the greatest race? That's right. Hell yeah. Yep. Now the sound, Mike, of the car itself, never mind that's the sound of a firebird going past, which is what they're driving in the music video. You, You hear that. And you are, aside from being captivated by all of its awesomeness, and if you haven't seen the music video, which is like eight guys in Lululemon pants and tank tops dancing with no symmetry amongst one another at all on the Yard of Bricks, if you haven't seen the music video, and I would ask that you wait till the top of the hour to download it because you're going to absolutely sacrifice the next two hours of your life by watching it on repeat 58 times. So please wait till the end of the program before doing that brilliance, but... If you're watching it right now, or if you're listening to us, Mike, and you're saying to yourself, I wonder what they're saying. Mike, you dipped into the archives to find the exact answer to that, correct?
0: Well, I did because you were not aware you said that there was an English version. I'm and not I certain. Immediately, I, I immediately said to you, there's an English version. I still am not certain
2: that the English version is actually menudo This it might is. have been nine kids they found at
0: Glendale Mall, I think. <laughs> there was... There was one member of Menudo who spoke English. Okay. And so he he, did almost all of the English uh, songs that they did. So without further ado,
2: listen to these brilliant lyrics that were describing the signs and times of the Teofabi, Tom Sneva, Alancer, Kevin Kogan, Alancer Jr. years of the Indianapolis 500. And, of course, the music's still there. The, the The instruments. Beautiful. I feel like I'm at the symphony.
1: Over the horizon on Memorial Day, the sun showed
2: The day before Memorial Day, but that's okay.
1: People come from everywhere to witness the greatest
2: They do that, yep.
1: In the pits, mechanics tune the motors. They're getting ready for the fight.
2: Yeah, they are, for the fight.
1: Gentlemen, start your engines. The green flag is down.
2: Okay, that didn't rhyme. That's okay. Indianapolis. Where are we? What city are you singing about, Menudo? That's right. What race do you want to see? Just keep repeating that. Thank you. Now, that right there is fabulous, although I would have gone, Mike, with the green flag is in sight, because wouldn't that have rhymed with what they said instead of just the green flag is down?
0: Well yeah, of course. But they had to set you up for core for, for the second set of lyrics that we're about to hear. <laughs> Which I think here we go. This is more of the
2: greatness of the English version of Indianapolis.
1: Cheers and bands fill the air together with the smell of burning gasoline.
2: Mm-hmm. Were they running gasoline Everybody then?
1: Everybody on your feet to welcome the ferocious machines.
2: Ferocious machines.
1: Thirty-three warriors in the chariots go out into the battlefield. Heck yeah,
2: they do shiny helmets take command of the wind. Suddenly it's been heard. Just keep repeating it. Thank you. It's so awesome. It's so awesome we gotta do it again. Hold on here. Let, let's just go back again. Brad, whichever one you want to pick of the three, just go back to more Menudo. It's beautiful. We got two minutes left. More Menudo, please. Listen to the rev of the engines. See, right there, you can just see the sun cresting over the Northeast Vista. Can you not? The cannon just went off. The fans are filing in. The Great Speedway is awakening. It's going to be another running of the greatest race in the world. Wait a minute. What happened? Heck yeah. Put on your leotard, get on the bricks, and start flopping around with no symmetry to the rest of your boy band. It's the best. Mike, are you offended, Mike, that... We didn't get to the song about AJ Foyt because we've been busting out the Menudo a third time. All
0: well, that, and, and I know my my daughter who's listening in Cincinnati will be disappointed we didn't hit up Hoodie Allen tonight because she's listening for Hoodie Allen.
2: Oh wait a so. minute, hold on. So do we need to close out with that since we got a minute we left?
0: Gotta, we gotta give my daughter a little Hoodie Allen, I think. Probably.
2: All right, Brad, let's close out with Hoodie Allen. How's that? Can we do that? How long is that clip, Brad?
0: Oh, that's a short one.
2: Five seconds. All right, here we go. The last, the, we saved the best for last, I guess, right? Go ahead to Hootie here. Yeah, this is for Natalie. All right, Natalie, here you go. Go Reds. All right, my apologies, but we finally got it in. Mike, so much fun. Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock, we'll do it again. Sound good? Sounds good to me Great be job always. pulling it out. Brad, bump us out the 20 seconds of Menudo. Let's close out with the greatness that is Menudo from 1983. Hell yeah, there
1: we go. Good night, everybody. Everybody on your feet to welcome the ferocious machine Thirty-three warriors in the chariots go out into the battlefield Thirty-three shiny helmets take command of the wind